Well, welcome to the More to Story podcast. I am so glad that you've come along. And look, as we get into today's subject, I think it's going to be incredibly transformative for us as we think about the importance of miracles. A lot of times we shy away from it, but today's uh, guest is somebody who has thought a lot about this and I think can help us in many practical ways. So you're going to hear from that in just a minute. I want you to know this podcast is brought to us by a couple of sponsors. WPO Development is a group that works with churches and nonprofits and schools all across the country. Their CEO, Keith Waters, says that if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. And that's, I think that's obviously a true statement, but I'm thankful for Keith as he's helped more than 250 organizations in mission planning studies, feasibility studies, and capital campaigns. And I worked with him in a couple of projects and we're thankful to have WPO Development as a sponsor of this podcast. This podcast is also brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where I serve as the academic dean and professor of theology and preaching. I'm really excited to be a part of this school that's growing in a time when other seminaries are pulling back. Uh, we're maintaining the Orthodox faith once for all delivered to the saints and developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we do that through bachelor's, master's, and doctoral programs. We would love to have you consider our school. And also, we have a, a host of lay programs available, including the Wesley Institute, which is starting right about now. And it's a program that takes people through kind of like kind of thinking like an advanced Sunday school level, so to speak, uh, through the 66 books of the Bible, seminary professors teaching on each book over a nine-month period. We would love to get you involved in that. And you can do that um, by signing up at wbs.edu. And finally, my little study on the book of Jude is available. There's six sessions on a video sessions that are available for folks. This little book of 25 verses has been incredibly transformative for me as I've thought about the nature of where the church is at this moment and the challenges that we're experiencing. And so this Little This little course is something that you could do with a small group or a Sunday school class. You can find out more about that at my website, andymillerthe3rd.com. That's andymillerii.com. Well, now I am pleased to welcome into the podcast the Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at the School of Theology at Biola University's Talbot School of Ministry, Dr. J.P. Moreland. Dr. Moreland, welcome to this podcast. We are so glad to have you. Well, I have to tell you, Andy, it's a delight for me to be here. I'm excited. Well, great. We, um, I have to admit, like every now and then I have somebody on who I have read a lot of th through the years, and you're one of those people. I've just really appreciated your work as a philosopher, which is part of what makes this uh, topic today even interesting, is that you wouldn't think of a philosopher normally writing on the subject of miracles and experiencing miracles, but I am excited to get into this topic. How did you get come to the place of, of uh, tackling this subject? Well, I began to... Uh to hear stories and to uh, run into people who had actually seen supernatural miracles happen. Right. I was a little bit, you know, skeptical, I guess you'd say. Right. So I started looking into it and I started interviewing people and man, it, it completely changed my life. And then, you know, I saw some things happen. And so as a result, I wanted to share uh, what I had learned in this book because I have some credibility as a philosopher and I wanted to show that you don't have to be anti-rational to believe that God is doing miracles all over the world today and it it's really to encourage people's faith and strengthen them that God is real and that he's doing things and and that's really my purpose. 
It's beautiful. Now, one of the things about that that's interesting is like that many Christians will be resistant to the idea of spiritual warfare or miracles, but yet we are part of a tradition and like the, the Christian orthodoxy affirms miracles at its very center. God creating the world out of nothing. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like if we, and I also, I'll admit my own little um, bias for a period. I remember kind of being in this stage where I was questioning the existence of the demonic. I was questioning supernatural. I was certainly questioning miracles. And this was at a, even while I was in seminary. And I, I even like raised my hand in a systematic theology class and a very wise, wonderful pastoral uh, systematic theologian said to me, well, Andy, it sounds like you're being a selective Boltmanian. <laughs> and I sat back in my seat. That's and, not a <laughs> and so I realized that he was right. Like I was, I was saying I wanted to believe in the resurrection, but at the same time, I was wanting to be skeptical of all these other areas. So is, is that a kind of a common theme that you see? Is it people I, like I think so? I think so. And I think I think that we've associated miracles with <clears throat> ignorant people and they happen elsewhere and you know uh we've kind of absorbed naturalism whether we know it or not right and we believe in god and the resurrection but you know we're skeptical about everything else and i think that we don't want to be gullible or skeptical we want to be wise and i believe if you do that you're going to discover uh and in the book i explain how you can increase your faith in this but if you start talking to people, you're going to see a lot of things have been happening in your own church and you didn't know about it. Mm. Now, now you say it's interesting to me. The title is interesting. A simple guide to experiencing miracles. Help me understand well, what's simple about experiencing miracles. Well, yes. Um, <clears throat> what I did is I <clears throat> have 50 carefully vetted miracle stories that I made sure really happened. I interviewed the eyewitnesses. I gathered, I, I, I tested them because my reputation was on the line. Right, sure. And in, the, and in the book, I explain how to recognize the difference between a genuine miracle and just a lucky coincidence. Right. And uh, there are ways of knowing <clears throat> when a miracle has happened. And so um, what I do for people is I, I, I have chapters devoted to five different kinds of miracles, specific answers to prayer, miraculous healings, having God speak to you uh, outside scripture, but under its authority, and um, um, having uh, near-death experiences and experiencing angels and demons and I list in there, for example, how we know demons are real. Uh, and I've got some evidence for that. So the purpose of the book is to give reasons why each of these kinds of miracles are real, how to tell they've happened, um, biblical basis for them, and, and, and then to try to deal with people's skeptical uh, problems with that type of miracle, and then give a ton of examples that are just life-changing. Mm. So it's interesting. I don't want to spoil the whole book. I want people to go get it, of course. But what is the difference then? I mean, that's a oh. between a co coincidence and a, a genuine yeah, good, miracle. Good question, Andy. Um, let me start with science. Um, in, in, in a whole set of branches of science, like archaeology and anthropology and forensic science, they have developed a way of telling the difference between something happening 
as the result of an act of a rational agent. Okay. Did it intentionally versus it being a coincidence. So let me give, and there are, there are two criteria that if they're met, you know beyond any reasonable doubt that what the, the thing you're looking at was done by an agent and isn't a coincidence. And the first one is this. Uh, the, the phenomenon has to be highly improbable. It's mm. got to be highly improbable. But that's not enough. And I'll show you why in just a minute. The second criterion is that there has to be something special about this phenomenon apart mm -hmm. from the fact that it happened. Mm. It has to be independently special in some way besides the fact that it happened to occur. So let me give you an example. Let's suppose yes. I'm playing bridge with somebody and we got a $500 kitty that we're playing for. And lo and behold, I get a perfect bridge hand and I'm the dealer on the first deal. And, and when the, when the bridge hit, when the whole thing now, was that a coincidence? Well, no, why man, first of all, it is extremely improbable for anybody to get a perfect bridge hand on the first deal. Mm -hmm. But, but, but look, uh, the person I'm playing with hand is as improbable as mine because they got the same number of cards. So if somebody had predicted that they would get this random group of cards ahead of time, we would know that the, the deck was stacked. So improbability is a necessary point, but it's not enough. What, what's second is there's a difference between the other person's hand and mine. His hand mm. is not special. In fact, the only way to describe it is some hand or other that he randomly got. My hand, however, is a special hand quite independently of the fact that I got it. How so? The rules of bridge say that anybody who gets a hand like that one wins. Mm. And so it's the combination of those two that showed that I cheated and that uh, this was done intentionally by me on, on purpose. Uh, this was actually uh, applied in a court of law years ago in uh, local state elections in the state of Ohio, where there were like seven or eight districts were having local state elections. And um, there were like eight parties running, the Green Party, the Libertarian, you, you name it. And when the ballots came out in all eight districts, the Republican candidate was listed first. Mm. That is really improbable, but right. improbable things do happen. However, there's another factor that made it special, and that's because a Republican was in charge of printing the ballots, and we know that whoever's listed first gets more votes just because they're first. Mm -hmm. So having the ballot maker have his party listed first on every ballot is a special, everybody right. knows that that's special before they even printed the ballots. Okay. So the combination of the unlikeliness of that happening plus, dude, this was special. Yeah, the sure. Court, the court uh, told, uh, found this guy guilty of cheating and he was fined, you know, I forget how much money. So now if I'm praying for something specifically and it happens, and I've got examples of this, or I am praying for a very specific miraculous healing, uh, or God speaks to me about something 
that was that that it was unlikely that I would be having this thought. I mean, it's just right, sure, sure. I don't think this way, but yet I find out that there was something special about that answer prayer. Namely, it was exactly what I was praying for before yes. it answered, or there was something special about that miraculous healing. Namely, a lot of people were beseeching God because there was an incredible need for that very thing to happen. And then for the speaking, if I find out that this person that I give this, what I heard to, that was exactly what they were needing to hear because they were making a decision and they needed that very thing to help them decide. Well, it was a combination of the improbability of all those things happening. Plus there was something special about it besides the fact that some event that was unlikely just happened. And man, when you get those two together, it, it is beyond any reasonable doubt that this was done now, not by a finite human agent, but by a really big agent. Wow, <laughs> yes. Agent, and that agent, the only kind of agent that can pull that off is God. Right. Oh, I love. So what, what's one of the examples that you give of that? Like you, you just kind of gave one, just basically talking about praying for something, but what's one of the examples that maybe even surprised you as you entered into this? Yeah, There's a couple in our church that we've known for 20 years and they're just godly people. And they had parents that were uh, spent, they got married and spent decades on the mission field, working with poor Hispanic people in Brazil and other uh, South American countries. And they, they lived in local huts and, or little buildings and they never had any money. They, 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 they just lived in kind of poor conditions with the people they were working with. Well, eventually they retired and they came back to the States and they moved to the San Diego area. And this happened long ago. And um, the, the wife got a job as a public school elementary school teacher and the dad continued to work with Hispanic churches in the San Diego area for free. So they had very little income. They had no, virtually no savings, maybe two grand and that was it. But after living in this little apartment for a while, uh, the, the wife said to her husband, honey, I, I would really like to close out our final decades if that's how long we have in, in a home that's our own. And I'd really like to see if we could get a house. Well, they asked all their family to start praying about this, including this couple we know. And they started looking, they got a realtor and they didn't knew nothing about the market or about what it took to buy a house. So they, they, this realtor took them out and they looked at five or six places. And then the last place they went to was empty. And uh, they walked in. And the, the wife just fell in love with it and said, this is the house that God has for us, I believe. Mm. Uh, I think this is what my heart says, I, this is what I want. And so uh, th they said to the, the realtor said, well, it's going to cost you, I think it was at that time, 10 or $10,000 down. And it'll be, and she calculated it, about 970 something dollars a month. How much do you have? Well, they had two grand, and they they could afford maybe four hundred a month. And she would, they were just absolutely downtrodden. And sure. so they said, "Well, we just can't do this." Yeah. And they were getting ready to leave, and a knock. There was a knock at the door, and the realtor answered it. And there were two men there in suits. They weren't Mormon missionaries; <laughs> they <laughs> were businessmen. And they said, "The realtor is the owner of the home here." And she said, "Interesting." Well, 
this couple has been thinking about getting this house. So they came and this, these gentlemen said, look, we'd like to ask if you'd be willing to, to, to make a deal with us. Um, if you will allow us to put two cell towers in your backyard and we'll make oh my a goodness. palm tree, <laughs> they won't be eyesores. But if you'll do that, we're prepared to sign a contract right now and we'll give you $10,000 up front. Wow. And 10000 a year for 30 years. Wow. Well, that was exactly what they needed. And they lived in that. They both have passed away within the last year or two. They lived there their whole life without paying a penny for that house. Wow. They got the down payment. What they got uh, yearly was enough to make their monthly payments. Now you, you look at the odds of, of those guys coming to that house. Right. Look at the odds of them coming to that house while they were there. Cause they were only there about 30 minutes and they were getting ready to leave. They'd have been five minutes later, no dice, but they happened to be there at the very time that those people were looking at that house. Right. Chances of that. Plus, it was special because they, if they didn't want the house, they would have said, well, no, we're not interested. Right, but sure. The house they wanted to get and couldn't get. So it's clear that God was honoring these dear people. And that was not a coincidence, dude. That was an answer. <laughs> God intervened. Oh, what a beautiful example. I love that. Yeah, powerful. Um, one of the challenges of thinking about this is just in general to think about how God interacts in with the world and what's the nature of his engagement with humanity and in the natural world at yes. this point. And so this this leads us to an interesting place. Like there are divergent traditions uh, within, you know, probably within Christian orthodoxy, and some would say some of this isn't. Or, but like for instance, like um, uh, some would put an emphasis on our faith and our articulation of yep. the of a miracle that should come and it's it's our fault if it doesn't happen because they don't want to put any blame on god and someone right. then on the other side would be like well um uh god just doesn't interact that way he's given us medicine he's given us things he's just not gonna be a part right. so i think like these are two polarities can you address those two groups i sure can uh, two things about this andy first in the first chapter second i i give eight practical ways that people can do something to increase their faith that these things are real so okay. you can't boots you can't just choose to believe more than you believe at that time but these are things that will help for example when you go to church ask your friends look don't be embarrassed but have you in the last year seen anything an answer to prayer, a healing or something that you, it was beyond any doubt in your mind that it was a miracle and it wasn't just a coincidence. You're going to be shocked when you mm. start hearing people say, well, if you want to know the truth, yeah. I mm. mean, I've heard people have said, I actually saw an angel and they explained about it and so on. And uh, so I've got practical steps to how to grow in this, but I also list 14 reasons that are carefully thought out as to why god doesn't answer prayer interesting and um and one of them is that we might not it may be that i don't have the faith i need right then it may be that god knows that it would be too costly to answer this i'll uh, maybe the timing's wrong I'll give you an example we prayed for a year for my son-in-law to find a new job because his boss was 
the boss from hell and, <laughs> uh, and, and two other people. Since we do believe in demons. There you go. And two people left because they couldn't stand her, but my son-in-law needed the job. Yeah. Well, um, after about a year of praying this, my, his wife, my daughter, ran into somebody, make a quick long story short, who needed somebody to do what he did. And out of all the people that applied, they hired him and his salary jumped astronomically. And they said, the reason we hired you instead of other people is that you'd had at least a year experience doing what you did. Mm. Wow. <laughs> if God had answered yeah, that sure. prayer, he would have never gotten this better job. So the yeah. timing was wrong. And we were privileged to see why he didn't. Not everybody gets to see that. Yeah. So the timing's wrong. There can be. So I've got 14 reasons. And my advice is that if you've been praying for something and nothing's happening, it might not hurt to just look those up and say, I wonder if any of these 14 jump out, out of the page to me and I think are applicable to my situation. Maybe two or three or four of them will. Yeah, uh, I'll bet, but I'll bet you one of them will because they pretty much cover the reasons and it might help people to make a little bit of sense out of, out of why God might not be responding. What are a couple, I, I don't want to steal, I want people again to buy the book. What are a couple other reasons why God doesn't answer prayers? Well, uh, for example, like I said, the timing may not be right. right. Um, it, it may be that there is, and I'm not, I'm not kidding about this, demonic interference with the right. prayer. And uh, there are cases of that. Uh, it may well be that God wants more people praying uh, in order to bless more people when it's answered so that right. he just answer the prayer. But he also accomplishes blessing a larger number of people's faith because they were part of the praying. And so he's waiting for others to gather like we're told in the Corinthians. Interesting. It, it, you know, it may well be that what God wants is for some other person to be the one that uh, provides the, the healing for the individual, for example, mm. because God knows that they, they were, they're going to run into that person through his foreknowledge, and it's going to accomplish more for his kingdom if they're the ones that lay hands and pray rather than the individual that they're receiving prayer now. So those are some. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for thanks for dropping into that a little bit. And this interesting, interesting piece too with thinking about foreknowledge and the way God interacts in in time and space. Tremendously interesting stuff. So I mean, in we in our in our tradi the tradition I come from at Wesley Biblical Seminary, we yeah, would I'm not believe it. I'm What's that? You. I'm with oh. you about free will, by the way. Oh well, praise the Lord. Actually, I've been I've often you know you've done a lot of work with William Lane Craig yeah. as well. And uh, with both of you philosophers, I think, man, uh, I think you line up pretty well with the Wesleyan tradition oh, in my do. book. <laughs> I do. I, I, well, I love my Calvinist friends, but I'm not a Calvinist. And uh, I believe that, well, I believe we have full-blown free will and so on. But, but this is, enters into this discussion, too, with how we think about miracles. Go, well, if, if everything is just bound to happen, it's all been pre-planned, or maybe we have a compatibilist view of freedom that just thinks that God is just allowing us to think that. I mean, how, how, how what is the connection there? Well, I'm with you. I mean, the, the, the point is that it kind of becomes hard to figure out why I should exert effort 
to pray. Mm, mm -hmm. I mean, I should be passive. I'm, I'm going to pray, then God will make me pray. And if I'm not going to pray, he'll make me not pray. So I'll just wait and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, but I don't believe in that. By the way, having the view of free will you and I share helps in um, not getting discouraged by an answer prayer. And here's why. Sometimes we pray for things that God has condescended not to be able to answer mm. uh, so for example god is not going to override a person's free will to get a job done in my view okay. so if i'm praying that somebody's going to get saved god will not just jump in and save them in spite of their choices uh, the pharisees resisted the will of god the boule of god the strongest word for will and i and 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 if you pray for somebody there's no guarantee that God can save them if they resist and won't choose him. So what I pray for instead is that God will send people to them. God will bring things into their life that will expose their need. He'll speak to them in their dreams. Uh, they'll be listening to the radio and something's going to catch them. So I will pray that God will send harvesters into the field to go after that person but I won't pray that they'll get saved because, because that's not God's, God can't answer that prayer because he's set up the world so that it's up to us, not him, whether we get saved. So people who pray that somebody gets saved and, and they don't, they, they think prayer doesn't work, but the reality is that they shouldn't have prayed that to begin with. They should have prayed the things I was suggesting. Uh, another one. Uh, God, would you give me a job at this place? Uh, well, I mean, how's God going to do that uh, if the owner doesn't like the guy and he resists God's promptings? To right, right, God? right. So what I can pray is that God will provide a job. Lord, I, I'd like you to give him a job at this place. Would you move on them when he interviews? Would you just put a light and a glow on his on his interview and, and, and just make him shine. And would you open this person's heart to be receptive to how good he is? But right. So, so that's where I leave it there. Does that make any sense? Oh, yes. This is so helpful. I, uh, I, I heard you present, I don't know if it's on a podcast or um, uh, just a video at some point, probably 10 years or so ago. And I had just gotten into some of the academic conversations and listening to you and, and people like William Lane Craig. And yeah. you presented on Miracles Then. And honestly, it threw me off. It threw me for a loop because I just wasn't ready for it at the time. Right. But what? It, and but then I think God's done a work in my life and kind of opened up doors for me to think about this, about even the nature of how uh, signs and wonders are part of the way that people come to faith. Like they come, like it's amazing. Like that was been a key, a key move in my own personal ministry. Well, one of the things I love is like uh, people might not know this if this is their first interaction with you. Like you are incredibly. Uh, sophisticated, respected philosopher and logician. And I really admire that. And, and I love you brought in to this conversation, something interesting, th this book, Logical Praying for Miracles. Yes. I, I am this, I needed this. I needed this. I needed this. I'm 42 years old. <laughs> I needed this 42 years ago. So tell me about like, how is it we pray for miracles? Well, um, first of all, we all need to just make our requests known and be specific and be willing to quote unquote fail. Look, um, why not pray for something specific? And if nothing happens, see if you can learn from it. Okay. okay. 
and maybe one of those 14 reasons is why. But the, the key in, in, in terms of what we can control uh, is, is two things. And one is not to pray for things that would require God to violate somebody's free will to answer. Instead, pray, pray that there would be influence and so on. Uh, but, and, but don't get discouraged by, because you're praying for the wrong thing. And then secondly, find ways to, for your faith to grow in this area without you having to try to gut it out and just will yourself to have more faith because you just can't do that. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is investigate the right things, read the right books, talk to people, and you will find your faith and your expectations skyrocketing. So let me give you an ex one, of the, one of the eight things I suggest. Yeah. I say, give a hundred bucks to the Jesus film and get their newsletter that comes out, uh, you know, uh, once or twice a month. I'm telling you, Andy, if you read the Jesus film newsletter, it is Acts 29, what's happening wow. in the world. Uh, you will be, your, your, your heart and mind will be blown by what these dear people out in the Muslim countries, and they don't tell you where they're at, but they're seeing things that happened in the book of Acts. And yeah. these are the people that are gonna lie about this because they're earnest people sacrificing their lives for the yeah. gospel. So get that and read it. It'll yeah. encourage you. Secondly, like I said, start making this a topic of conversation. So in your Sunday school class, or you have a couple over for dinner that are believers, ask them, have you ever seen an answer to prayer or a he or a healing or had God speak or guide you or ever experienced an, an angelic presence or a demonic presence? Or do you know someone who had a near-death experience? And in, in, in these cases, were you very, you were really confident that this wasn't a coincidence? If you are, please, would you mind telling me about it? And start asking people, and you're going to get stories starting to pour out. I suggested this uh, in the book, and I got, uh, uh, there was an email that was sent to me by a gal who had a, a Bible study with about 20 people. So she decided she was going to do this in one of her meetings. And, and the study, I think, lasted about an hour. And she emailed me and said, I started off by saying what I just told you to ask. Right. And she said, uh, Dr. Moore, then you're not going to believe this. But the study went for two and a half hours. And we, I couldn't get people to shut up. <laughs> there must have been 20 to 25 miracle stories that were that were darn credible. They could not have been coincidence. And we all got on our knees. People were crying. Uh, they were just crying out to God for his for his react because he was real and good. And he said, I'm glad I did that, because if I'd never asked these people, I would have never known that sitting in this room were people who'd seen God do things that were supernatural. Wow. That's another, that's just one of the eight. Those are two of the eight things that I, I list there. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And, and, and just creating a sense of uh, a communal belief that like we huge, have this. Huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge.
Sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's good. No, it's that people together are willing to talk about this and then anticipate and pray for it. Like if you're aware of things that have happened. Now, you brought it up several times, and this is a a key part of your book. I I think we have time just to talk about it at least briefly, but the role of angelic and demonic forces. And this is something that we've emphasized actually in the last year and a half as a seminary teaching a class on spiritual warfare. And um, And some people think, oh, it's kind of dangerous there to... You, you don't quite know what you're doing and scripture isn't in, isn't super clear on this subject so let's just be careful but right. you you go after this and in a helpful way so talk to me about well, it's, it's dangerous not to be informed paul says that he, he <laughs> knew the wiles of the devil the schemes of the devil yeah we are naive if we're not aware so uh in 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 the it is now almost universally agreed among new testament scholars that believers can be demonized they don't make a distinction between demon possession and demon oppression that was based on a mistranslation of the king james the only two words in the new testament are to be demonized or to have a demon in one and paul writes christians in ephesians and he says don't allow the devil to have a tapas in in you that tapas topography that means a place in you don't let a demon have entry and set up a place in your soul. Mm-hmm. So Christians can be demonized and and have a demon in them, just like unbelievers, but perhaps not to the degree of control that an unbeliever can have, but it's still too. And so I give reasons how we know demons are real. Number one, the Bible teaches it, and, and the Bible's withstood criticism for centuries, and it's earned my respect, and I trust it. Amen. So if it says that, I just, I trust it, not blindly, but I, it's borne itself out too many times for me to count. I've been doing this, I've been a believer 54 years. I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. I know that <laughs> the Bible's reliable. Secondly, if the person that is supposedly demonized cannot do the things the Bible says a demonized person can't do, like acknowledge in your presence that Jesus is Lord, Um, love the fellowship of the brethren, Um, be drawn to the word of God. They shriek at the word of God. They hate Christians. See, people with with multiple personalities or that sort of thing, they, they, they can say Jesus is Lord because it doesn't mean anything to them. Uh, they, they sometimes love being around Christians, uh, uh, and also they they may read the Bible and enjoy reading it. There's no connection uh, there. But if you find somebody who can't do the things, and I list some of those. Yeah, in, say Jesus is Lord. Right, and, read uh, scripture. And some yeah. others. No, number three, um, if nothing else works, they've been on medication. Right. They've been on in therapy and nothing works. But they go to a session where people lay hands on them and pray in the name of Jesus and in the basis of his shed blood. If there's any evil spirit, they have to leave and they can't come back. And and if they are delivered and healed, then that's evidence that it was a demon. It wasn't a psychological problem because the therapy and the meds didn't work. Now, the case of that, the bottom line is that a, a, a father who is a psychiatrist and a mother who is a therapist uh, had given meds and therapy to their teenage daughter who had been acting out weirdly for a couple of years. And finally they found out about, about me and, our, and our, my church, the church I go to. 
and that we pray for the sick and, and we believe in the demonic. And so they asked if she could come. So we one Sunday morning, she, their family came, and I had about seven people who really have experienced praying against demons. And we went over to the side of the church after the service, and we, we laid hands on her and prayed over her about 20 minutes. And we, first of all, just spoke love and truth into her. You know, I won't say her name, but Jesus really does love you. He's not mad at you. Mm -hmm, he, loves mm -hmm. you. he cares for you. And then we began to speak to any spirits that were in her. We didn't yell. We just commanded them if they were there to leave. Well, what happened is two weeks later, I got a, a, an email from the mom saying, you're not going to believe this, but since that instance, she has been normal ever since. Yeah. Now, four years later, I got an email from this mom. And I, she said, I thought I'd give you an update on my daughter. All, ever since that day, she has been on fire for Christ. She's in college and she's leading her Christian group at a Bible study. She has never acted out like that again. That's an example where somebody was delivered, but meds and therapy didn't work. Now, here's the mm. final way we know demons are real. And I knew no two PhDs that had this happen to them. Um, if you're in a, in a, say you've got a group of people that have gathered together to pray over somebody just in, in case they might be demonized, you don't know, but you're going to pray over them. And as you start praying, the person stops and says, wait a minute, I know where you were last Tuesday night. And you were in a bookstore looking at pornographic literature. How interesting. And, and you, sir, were a, a doing such and such. And you didn't tell your, your boss about some things you took from the office when you went home. And here's what you took. And I, both, I know two professors. And they, they, this person went around the room and told everybody something they'd done and what, when they did it and what happened. So he went to them after this prayer session and every single one of them were white and their jaws were on the floor. And they told, told these two, they don't know, know each other. Every, that, they, were, they nailed me. What they wow. said, I, I was actually, this is, I'm embarrassed to say that. And he said, the lesson is confess your sins before you, you're going <laughs> to pray over somebody, don't you know? Yeah. But there's no explanation for that, Andy. Wow. And, and there are too many cases of this that's happened. How does that enter into thinking about like one of the challenges that I struggle with with thinking about a personalized Satan is the the limitations that could be upon him. Like we think of God is omnipresent, um, yep. but like in, how how can that happen? How could there but Satan not being omnipresent? Um, and yeah, help well, me think through that. It isn't always Satan. It could be a demon, one of his sure. one of his uh, fallen angels, but. Uh, God is, if God's omnipresent, then he's present in hell. I mean, he's, he's yeah, he's, sure. So, so his literal presence at a, at a location doesn't mean anything as to what is also going on in that location. He is at the very same place where a rape's occurring, or he's right, at the sure. very same place where someone is giving to a poor person. So his being is present when there's evil and good. So the argument that how could God's holy presence be in someone when there's a demonic presence there doesn't cut muster 
because then you have to say, well, he isn't present whenever a sin occurs mm. and he isn't present in hell. And that means he's not omnipresent. What, what people really need to understand is that God, God's presence when we get saved is relational because he then becomes intimately connected with within us whereas before he was still omnipresent there but he wasn't attached and he wasn't in regenerative relationship with us so the the demon cannot can be in us and god can be present there too and god may allow your free will to determine how much he'll allow this demon to do sometimes he may just show, show mercy the best book on this I've got a tremendous bibliography in the back of the book where I trust okay. every book in there. I've read them and I trust them. And, and the best book on, the, on, on dealing with demons is by Charles Kraft, K-R-A-F-T, Defeating Dark Angels. If anybody mm. wants to know about this, that's the book to get about how to start ministering this way. Gotcha. I think it's helpful for us. Interesting enough, uh, uh, probably about the same time this podcast comes out, I had uh, Brian Fickert on, who is the author of When Helping Hurts, and he has a new book out uh, called Becoming Whole. And one of the interesting things that he includes is even thinking of uh, social problems. So he uses the example of somebody coming to your church looking for help paying for um, electric bill or something. Well, he's like, you the kind of the tip, there's one of two responses that a lot of times people have, well, it's um, that individual's problem or it's a societal problem. Like it's one of the two, you know, personal or corporate. He says you have to consider both. But then he also said, or you consider too the role of the demonic. Absolutely. And as somebody who served for 15 years in the Salvation Army, like I'm just aware that often this is what's happening. And I, I look back at my own ministry and I'm aware that, man, I think I probably could have prayed more yeah. in a more focused way for folks who could experience this. I've had the same experience. I look back and I say, where was I? <laughs> you know, but yeah. you know, the three, the, the Bible is so genius, but it, it says, you know, we've got three fundamental things against us. <laughs> the, the world, which is that part of non-Christian culture, contrary to the word, there's yeah. some things in non-Christian culture that are good and fine. It's not all of it, but it's the world is that part of the unregenerate world that is contrary to knowledge of God and his word. Secondly, the flesh that is the thing that the evil the the dispositions toward doing the wrong thing and sinning that are still in me when i'm saying mm -hmm. third the devil and yes. it's not all the devil it's all three but i'm not going to be i'm not going to rule out one third of this i want to know how to deal with all of it because i want to be a healthy growing christian Yes, beautiful. The other thing is that you have mentioned here is, and I, I learned about this, like the first person who introduced me, this is Gary Habermas, with the idea of near-death experiences. Yes. And so this, this is another case that you deal with in this book. So talk to me just briefly about that. I know we only have a few more minutes, but I'd love yeah. to hear well, a summary a of that. Chapter, I have a chapter there, and, and what I deal with is, is people rightly might have a little bit of a biblical objection to these. But the truth of the matter is that there are about 300 million of these that have occurred all over the Amazing. world. Yeah. And uh, tens of one out of 25 people in America has had a near-death experience and wow. in Germany, including atheists, including little children that were three years old and didn't know what was going on, but they reported. And so 
what I do is I, I list the biblical objections people have and show that they really are misunderstanding the Bible. So I'm going to say 95% of the ones that are reported are, are consistent with the word. Mm. There may be 5% that I'm going to rule out. So please read that chapter. And I, I reference another important book that has stories that but also focuses on Christian objections to the re, to the credibility of these on biblical grounds. But in the, in that chapter, I try to show that these are consistent. Ninety five percent of them are consistent with the word. So I, if people don't agree with me, they're watching. Would you please just give me a chance to make my case? That's all. <laughs> Then I go, I, then I refute the naturalistic explanations of these and show they can't be explained naturalistically. And then I've got some cases in there that are mind blowing. I'll tell you one real quickly. Great. I was speaking at a huge conference uh, 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 with about 1,500 people. And I was not, I was sick. I was not feeling good. So when I was, when I finish a talk, I like to hang around and visit with people, but that yeah. time I needed to get out. So I just went straight to the parking lot and a, and a gentleman followed me. And I just, I just didn't have it in me. And he said, Dr. Moreland, would you stop for just a second? And I said, yes, sir. What, 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 how can I help you? And he said, I am perhaps the, the most highly regarded uh, cardiologist in the city of Pittsburgh. Okay. An honest statement. And I was an ambitious, self-absorbed, didn't care about my wife or anybody else atheist. Yeah. And, and I was on duty in the ER one night and a woman was brought in and she had had a severe heart attack and I examined her and she coded and there was another doctor. She was completely unconscious when she came in. When you say coded, she died. She died. Yeah. She okay. Died. And, and no brain, everything was gone. including okay. And she was dead for 20 to 25 minutes because they did everything to try to bring her back. And there was another doctor there that had his long beard. He was a tall guy. And they and the nurses started coming in. Finally, they, they did the paddles. And after about 25 minutes, he said, she, she kicked back in. And we mm -hmm. stabilized her heart. And, and I went home. I was so exhausted. I went home. The next morning, I went back to do rounds in the ER. And I just wanted to check in on her. And I went into her room and she was awake. And she said to me, thank you for saving my life. Hmm. And I was shocked because she'd never seen me. Hmm. She never opened her eyes. She didn't know who I was. And she said, I said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, last night when you, when I was brought in, I, I remember dying on the operating, on, on the table. And I remember lifted, lifting up and I was watching you and this taller doctor with this really big beard. And that guy was not even there in the, the rounds. This guy's getting freaked out. And you were working on me and none of the paddles would work. And then there were nurses and this one had a blue outfit on, but the others had white outfits on. And they were running around trying to do things. And finally, I, I, I and by the way, she, she was a believer and she, uh, she she met the Lord Jesus up on the on the ceiling, and he was next to her. She she could actually be aware of his his presence, and uh, and and this guy said, and, and I want to give you a link to my video, 
because I have given testimonies about this to secular groups. And I then and that Sunday I went to church. And and I thank God it was a Bible-believing church because they had an altar call. And I went forward and I got saved. Wow. I've been on fire for Christ ever since that happened, because there is no way that woman could have described any of that to me because I'm a cardiologist and I know what the heck I'm talking about. She was dead. She never opened her eyes and it changed this guy's life. Wow. And I've heard these interesting stories too, of people who have been able to describe events that have happened like down the road on other floors. I mean, 300,000. There are too many of these, brother. Uh, (laughs) I love it. And doctors have checked them out with by interviewing the people they allegedly saw. And it's in the medical report. This is empirically proven. Now, let let me see like one of the things that's interesting about this and why this is, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. Let me see if I can... uh, describe what this means is that we live in a supernatural universe where there's more than just the physical realm that we experience, the physical world, naturalistic world. So if that's the case, that if we live in a world where there's such a thing can happen, like a yes. near-death experience, that should clue us into the fact that well, miracles can happen. We're not, we, we, we have a soul, first of all, we're not just right. bodies like the scientists supposedly have shown, which is nonsense. Yeah. And secondly, there's life after death. Amen. And some people go to hell yeah. and, and they have an experience and, and God is gracious and, and, and they come to Jesus or, or what. But anyway, you, you're, you're spot on, brother, because uh, I'm telling you, whether you like it or not, this life isn't all there is. And when you die, Dallas Willard used to say, you might not even know you're dead. Wow. Take you on, and I've got a, there's a story where a guy died and he was sitting next to his body and he didn't know he was dead and he was talking to some of the nurses and they weren't they weren't talking to him Mm. and he happened to look over and he said golly this is a cheap hospital why did they put two of us in this tiny bed up in the face and it was his body and he said i'm dead he didn't know he was dead because all he did was what happened was he just left his body there wow. was no pain in it in any, or anything like that. We don't get to see that side, except some people have actually witnessed it. So that's my answer. Uh, wow. Oh, I love it. I, this is so helpful. And I love the practicality of this book. So again, everybody, it's experience uh, a simple guide to experiencing miracles, instruction and inspiration for living supernaturally in crisis. This is published by Zondervan. And we're really thankful uh, that we've had opportunity to speak with Dr. J.P. Moreland today. Dr. Moreland, it's really a blessing to hear from you and hear your passion. And we, we just started to talk a little bit about anthropology there a little bit. And that's another subject that you've written really well on in the past. So just encourage people to look you up. Where can they find out more about you? Oh, amazon.com. That's the okay. I'm not a website guy, but but hey, I've enjoyed being with you and please have me on again. It's been a joy, brother. God bless yeah, you. God bless you.